as we continue our procession to the resurrection. We want to continue this walk with Jesus, this time in Matthew chapter 26, in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 26, verse 36, and I'm going to read from the New King James Version. Listen to what God's Word says in verse 36 of the 26th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Amen. I want to preach about the Gethsemane experience. The Gethsemane experience. Even as we walk with Christ on our way to Calvary and to the resurrection, in the Gospel of Luke, it says that in this eight-day period from the triumphal entry into Jerusalem to the resurrection, Two places Jesus went every day. One of those, every morning he went to the house of God. Every morning he went to the temple. He went to church every morning. And every evening he went to the Mount of Olives. And again, here in Matthew 26, he does the same thing. We're still on that Thursday when Jesus had that last supper before Calvary with his disciples. When he was helping them to understand the bread represents my body and uh, the cup represents my blood and you are to internalize that to help us to understand the covenant relationship that we have with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so even as he's helping them to understand that, now the meal is over, they sing a hymn and they're now on their way to the Mount of Olives. He went to the Mount of Olives every evening. They're on their way. This time, Judas is not with them. Judas has already gone to find the chief priests and the Pharisees and the scribes to finish dealing with the betrayal of Jesus. He's got 11 disciples. When they get there uh, at the Mount of Olives, eight of them have to stay in one spot, and Jesus said, I'm going to pray. He took with them Peter, James, and John, and he told them, now y'all stay here and watch with me. I'm going over here and praying. All this took place at the Mount of Olives, but it was in the Garden of Gethsemane. I've been to the Mount of Olives. I've been to Israel. And Jerusalem is surrounded by a wall. And outside the city walls, there is this Mount of Olives. And at the foot of the Mount of Olives is the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, this is not some huge garden. It's a small garden, but it has a bunch of olive trees in the garden. That's why they call it Gethsemane. Gethsemane means uh, the olive press. The Hebrew people, you know, that olive oil was very significant to them. They would use olive oil uh, for cooking, like we do butter. They, we put butter on everything. We cook with the butter, put it on our bread, put it on our food. That's how they did olive oil. And they also used olive oil for fuel for their lamps. At that time, there was no electricity, so if they were going to light their lamps, they needed oil to do that. They used olive oil to light that fire so that they could be illuminated in the darkness and in the night. 
but they also used olive oil for medicinal purposes. It had healing properties in it. They used it for medicine. And they used it for the anointing. They would anoint people, and they anoint priests, and they anoint uh, the temple and the furniture in the house of God. So they used it for the anointing. But none of that could happen uh, until uh, you address the olives by pressing them to get the oil out of them. You can't just walk up to an olive tree and eat the olives because it's too bitter. But if you can press the olives to get the oil out, now you, you, you can start cooking. Now you can start healing. Now you can illuminate the darkness. Now you can operate in the anointing. That's why they called it Gethsemane. They called it the olive press. And I wanted to bring up this Gethsemane experience because all of us are going to have one. This is not just looking at Jesus' experience in the Garden of Gethsemane, but just knowing you're going to have a Garden of uh, a Gethsemane experience. All of us are going to go through something. So Jesus is modeling, how do we act when we go through this? How do we respond when we go through the pressing? How, how, do, how do we behave when difficulty sets in? Because Jesus shows us that the Gethsemane is a crushing place. That's what Dr. Ralph West calls it. He calls it a crushing place. It's a pressing place because uh, there's, there's going to be some pressing things that are happening in the life of Jesus. That's why, listen to what, how Jesus talks as he's praying to his father. Let me go back and, and read verse 37 again. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. Here it is. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. I'm trying to show you the pressing and the crushing that Jesus was going through. Here's what it says in the New International Version. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. The New Living Translation says, my soul is crushed with grief. In the message translation of Scripture, it says, a pit of suffocating darkness has set upon my soul. In the Good News Bible, it says, distress and anguish have come over my soul. I'm trying to get you to see the agony, the distress I'm trying to get you to see the pain that he was going through, the sorrow that he was going through in Gethsemane. It's crushing and pressing. Most of the time we focus in when it comes to salvation and this walk to the resurrection, we, we, we focus in on the physical pain Jesus went through. They whipped him all night long. They nailed his hands to the cross. They spiked his feet to the cross. They put a spear in Jesus' sight. And we focus in on the physical pain Jesus went through, and we should focus on the physical pain. But don't ignore the emotional, psychological, and mental distress that Jesus was going through. It was pressing. It was crushing. That's what this Gethsemane experience is all about. And the reason why he was going through this sorrow, even to the point of death, in his soul, his, the issues that his soul was dealing with is because he was facing betrayal. He already told him, one of y'all at the table going to betray me. And not only betrayal, but then denial. He said, Peter, uh, by morning you're going to deny me three times because things are going to get tight tonight. And he told the rest of the disciples, all of y'all are going to forsake me. 
And then he would have to deal with the persecution. Then he would have to deal with the crucifixion. And all that he was going through brought distress and anguish in his life, Jesus said, even to the point of death. And somebody, you, you having your Gethsemane experience right now. You're going through that anguish right now. You're going through that sorrow right now, mentally and emotionally and psychologically. You're up against it right now. And we talk about what's happening over in Ukraine, and that can be stressful. We ain't even got to go to Ukraine to find stress, uh, to be sorrowful. We can find that in our own families, in our own homes, and the burdens that we have to bear. And you, you ain't got to sit there and act like nothing has ever happened in your family. We have Gethsemane experiences even in our family with our children. And then we can go walk through our neighborhoods. And we can see the stress and the strain, whether it's, it's oppression or whether it's a systemic racism or whether it's poverty, all the things that we deal with in this world. And some of us right now are having this crushing experience in our life. And I'm trying to get you to understand that doesn't mean that God has left you and forsaken you. Because even here's what, here's what the Apostle Paul, when he was trying to help us to understand of the emotional, psychological stress that Jesus was going through. He said that Jesus became sin so you and I could become righteous. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus pays the penalty for our sin when he dies on the cross. But Paul said he became sin so we could become righteous. That's why when Jesus was down on the cross, he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because sin has a way of making you feel like God is not there. Now, y'all do know God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. But sin make you feel like he ain't there. Imagine what Jesus was going through. Not because he sinned, he never sinned, but he became sin. And now feels this distance between he and his heavenly father. So look at all of this anguish that he's going, all this that he's up against, but it doesn't mean that God has forsaken him. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, Father, I would that this cup would pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. That cup he's talking about is the cup of suffering. And Jesus, and I know we don't like looking at Jesus like this because it's showing us his humanity. We like looking at the divinity of Jesus. We like him turning water into wine, and we, we like him healing the sick and raising the dead because we like to look at the deity of Jesus. And he is all God. But y'all, Gethsemane shows us He's also all man. And when you look and there's this glaring view, a revelation of his humanity, he says, God, I don't want to drink from this cup. Y'all, the cup he's talking about is the cup of suffering. He would have to suffer. He would have to bleed. He had to be persecuted. He had to be crucified in order to bring salvation into the world. And Jesus said, I don't want to do that. I don't want to drink from that cup. I don't want to be persecuted. I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to have to deal with it like that. And all that humanity is showing up with Jesus. And, and we don't like looking at that, but Jesus said, I don't want to drink this cup of suffering. And I know it's a cup of suffering because remember James and John came up to Jesus and said, uh, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, uh, can I sit on one side in, on, with you in the kingdom and my brother sit on the other side? Remember what Jesus told him? Now, those seats are available, but we ain't just giving them to you because you got a mentality of entitlement. You, you, you don't just be entitled to those seats. He says, you got to earn those seats. My left hand and right hand in the kingdom, then Jesus said to him, you don't even know what you're asking for. He said, can you be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? 
Then he said, can you drink of the cup that I drink of? The cup? Yeah, are you willing to suffer? Because, y'all, if you don't suffer with Christ, you can't reign with Christ. And some of us somehow think that if suffering is involved, if pain is involved, then the purpose of God is not involved. We think if I'm living out the purpose of God, there will be no pain attached to it. Jesus said, in this cup, there is suffering in this cup. It is in the will of God to die on the cross. Y'all, he's living out the purpose but still experiencing the pain. And some of us never get to the promise of God because you're trying to get to the promise without the pain. And some of us will try to avoid pain at any cost. That's why we quit everything. Because we're trying to live a life with no pain. But y'all, if you don't go through the pain, you're not going to get to the purpose. If you don't go through the pain, you're not going to get to the promise. We're trying to get a crown without going through the crucifixion. You're going to have to go through something in order to get to something. But even Jesus said, I don't want to drink from that cup. But then he said, not my will, but thy will be done. Some of us would do anything to avoid pain, even not doing the will of God. Jesus said, no, I'm going to do your will even if it hurts. Not my will, but thy will be done. Y'all, the crushing and the pressing and the emotional distress that you're going through doesn't mean that God has left you. Matter of fact, we're looking at the olive press and all those olives in the garden of, 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 of Gethsemane. And y'all, when they harvest those olives, then they put them in baskets and they have this this big wheel come across it. They have this big stone roll over them. So the stone is able to crush the, the olives. That's even before the pressing. It's got to go through the crushing. And after going through the crushing, now it's got to go through the pressing. But after going through the crushing and the pressing, y'all, that's when the oil comes out. That's when that which is a value comes out. What you're going through now in that crushing is not God forsaking you. It's God seeking to get the best out of you. Let me rush on because it's not just a crushing place. But the Garden of Gethsemane is a place of prayer. Y'all, don't let the enemy keep you from praying. Some of us, when we go through our trials and troubles and tribulation, we let that push us away from God. No, that ought to push you towards God. And if pain don't help your prayer life, I don't know what's going to help your prayer life. We better learn how to pray. You're going to need to talk to God to handle the crushing that you're going through. And y'all, the Gethsemane experience, that is a place of prayer. And I want to show that to you right here in Matthew 26, in verse 36. Sit here while I go and pray over there. In verse 39, he went a little farther and fell on his face and in verse 41, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Verse 42, again, a second time, he went away and prayed. In verse 44, so he left them and went away again and prayed. Whenever you're reading in Scripture and there's a phrase or a word that is repeated over and over again, that is more than likely the emphasis of the passage. The emphasis of Matthew chapter 26 is not the crushing. It's not the pressing, it's not the sorrow, it's not the anguish. The emphasis in Matthew 26 is the praying. And Jesus is praying in the face of betrayal. He's praying in the face of denial. He's praying in the face of sorrow because that's the emphasis of the passage to teach you and I that when we're going through our Gethsemane experience that we keep going to God in prayer. And I love the way Mark, Mark looks at this. 
And when Mark writes about the Garden of Gethsemane, he says that when Jesus went to pray, uh, that he prayed, Abba, Father. Abba? Yeah, that, that's the informal way that Hebrew children in the first century referred to their fathers. It's like our children call us daddy. My children never called me father. They always called me daddy because they knew they didn't have to be informed. They didn't have to be formal with me because of how close we are and how intimate we are. And because we're not distant, you can just call me daddy. And that's what, they were, that's what Jesus is doing. He's letting uh, these three in the, in, in, in the garden know this is how close me and my father are. I call him Abba. I call him daddy. And I love this about Jesus because even though you may not understand what God is doing in your life, you can still trust him as father. Yo, even if you don't understand God as God, you can still trust him as Abba, as daddy, as father. Preacher, what do you mean by that? His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. They're higher than ours as the heavens are above the earth. And somebody right now, you have no idea what God is up to in your life. Why would God let this happen? Why would God allow this to go on? Even when you don't understand him as God, you can still trust him as father. He cried, Abba. Oh, I know why y'all not saying amen. Because you think Abba is just for Jesus talking to God. No, you believe Jesus died on the cross. You believe God raised Jesus from the dead. You received him by faith. That means you're God's child. And the apostle Paul said, we can cry Abba. We can call him daddy. I don't know, I don't know where some of us get this. We think when we pray to God, we got to be so formal. We got to pray in the King James language. We praying to God talking about cometh and blesseth and giveth. You know, you got to pray in the King James Version. That's 1611, old 17th century English. He is your daddy. You can be informal. Just start talking to God. You don't need a certain posture. You don't need to be in a certain place. That's your daddy. And, yo, I tell you this right now. Nothing can get a father's attention like his own children calling him daddy. I don't even need y'all to say amen to that. I guarantee you there's nothing that can get a father's attention like his own children calling him daddy. Uh, before the pandemic hit, and we're getting ready, all of us get ready to get back in the building, hallelujah to the lamb. Uh, but I used to stand out in the back as people would exit, and they come by and they speak to me on their way out. And as they were exiting on their way out speaking to me, some of y'all walk up and refer to me as pastor. Some of y'all walk up and refer to me as bishop. Some of y'all walk up, a few of y'all even call me apostle. And then some of y'all call me doctor. And I'm going to tell you this right now, and I appreciate the respect, and I appreciate the honor. And that's cool, all the things y'all calling me, but ain't nothing getting my attention. Not like my children calling me daddy. That, that, that brings my attention to what is going on. And all I'm trying to say is, I don't care what other folk may call God, but God is your father, and you can go directly to him and call him daddy. And when you cry, Abba, he shows up in your life. My, my oldest grandson, Jeffrey Allen Johnson II, when, when Janelle, J. Allen's wife, was pregnant with, J., with, with Jeffrey Allen III, uh, my, my nieces and nephews and some of y'all were asking me, what are you going to have your grandson call you? What are you going to have him call Because I didn't want to go with the granddaddy and, and I didn't want to go with, with Papa. And I, so I said, you know what? I'll let him decide what he's going to call me. 
Because that's how some of y'all got y'all's name. Whatever they called you, okay, you became that. So I said, I'll let him decide what he's going to call me. And so when he was one years old, started talking, and he wanted to get my attention, I said, okay, call me Bishop. That's what I told him, call me Bishop. And uh, I, I said that because I'm not just the pastor of the church. I'm the pastor of my family. I'm the bishop and overseer of my family. So I told my grandson, he's two now, but I, when he was one, I said, call me bishop. He said, Baba. I said, no, no, try it again. Bishop. So we practice this. Call me bishop. He said, Baba. So to this day, he calls me Baba. That's my name. He called me Baba. And uh, I didn't find out till later. Baba is Swahili for a mature and wise man. Even when Jeffrey Allen was one, he knew he, I got a wise and mature grandfather. And he calls me Baba. He was at the house the other day, and he and Sharon were holding a conversation in the kitchen, and I was overhearing as I was coming upstairs. And, um, and Sharon was, was telling him that a drawer in the kitchen was broke. Because Jeffrey Allen would, I got a, there's a drawer in my kitchen. It's been broke for a minute. I keep procrastinating. I, I'm going to fix it. I keep putting it off. I procrastinate it. It's still broke. So Jeffrey Allen is in there pushing the drawer in. A few seconds later, it comes back out. He pushes it in again. It comes back out. And Sharon said, Jeffrey Allen, the drawer is broken. And I overhear him saying, Baba will fix it. So I come in, Sharon rehearses what happened. He keep messing with that drawer over there. And I told him it's broken. But he said, Baba, fix it. And when I walked in the kitchen, Jeffrey Allen looked up at me and caught my eye. And then he pointed to what was broken. And when I heard him say, Baba, fix it, and he looked at me and then pointed to what was broken, I stopped everything I was doing and fixed it right then and there. And if I'll do my children like that, how much more shall I, Heavenly Father, when you tell your friends, Abba, fix it. I don't care what's broken. Abba, fix it. And then tell God what needs. Anybody know, Abba will show up and fix it. And, and when he's praying in the garden, y'all, it's persistence. Look at how often he's, he's praying. He prayed the first time. He said, now, y'all, Peter, James, and John, y'all stay here and watch with me. That means, simply means stay awake, watch with me. Just, just, you can't get in my problem with me, but you can be present with me. He went away and prayed, Father, I would that this cup would pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Come back, they sleep. Y'all sleeping through all of this? He said, y'all can't just watch with me an hour? Went back a second time, prayed the same prayer. Father, I would that this cup would pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Went back over there again. They sleep. Y'all still sleeping? He goes back, prays a third time. And at the third time, he prays the same prayer three times. Now, I want to slow this down because I know some of us are listening to people telling us that when you go to pray to God about something, you pray one time about that issue and then leave it alone. Because they tell us if you pray more than once about the same issue, that's a sign you don't have faith. Y'all, that ain't in the Bible. Because you're persistent in your prayer, and you're praying the same thing over and over, that don't mean you don't have faith. The Apostle Paul had enough faith to write half the New Testament. But he said, I had a thorn in my flesh, King James Version said, and I went to the Lord thrice. That don't just mean three times. I went to the Lord over and over and over and over and over and over again about the same thing. Not because he didn't have faith, but because he had enough faith to know my God knows how to get thorns out of flesh. Y'all remember in the Gospel of Luke, those neighbors 
and one was doing great financially, the other one was really struggling. And, he, and at midnight, he went over to his neighbor's house. I got a guest over here. I got my family over here. And he's knocking on the door. Can I get some of that bread? I know you're doing well. We're struggling. Can I get some bread? It's at midnight. And the man said, I don't mind giving you some bread, but it's in the middle of the night. He said, if you come back in the morning, I'll be glad to give you and your family some bread. And that man just kept on knocking and knocking on the door until finally, it said, because of his persistence, his neighbor went and gave him some bread in the middle of the night. He wasn't knocking as a lack of faith. He's knocking because I know there's some bread in here. <laughs> and I'm going to keep knocking until I get some bread out of this. We have, uh, every Monday we have staff prayer meeting. It's, it's on Zoom, but every Monday we got staff prayer meeting. And so we spend about 30 minutes together. The first few minutes is me taking a verse of Scripture and telling them one thing God has for us for the week. That's to keep them reading the Bible, actually. But then... Right after that, then we testify about the goodness of God. What has God done in your life? And then the other thing we do is we, we ask people to, what do you want us to pray about? So we all tell them, pray about finance, pray about community, pray about Ukraine, pray about uh, jobs. And we, we, so we, we're, we're saying, what do you want us to pray about? Every week, it doesn't fail. The same staff person, and y'all, I'm, I'm not going to tell you their name. Don't try to figure it out. We got more than 80 people, so you ain't going to figure it out anyway. But every Every Monday, when we ask, what do you want to pray about? Here's, here's what they say. I want you to pray for my son that his soul might be saved. And pray that he starts making wise decisions. And pray he starts moving in the direction God has for him. Every Monday. Tomorrow, she's going to ask for the same thing. I want you all to pray for my son that he gets saved. Pray he starts making decisions that are not foolish. And pray he goes where God wants him to go. That's not a lack of faith on her part. That's her knowing that God knows how to turn a young person's life around. Y'all, you can keep, Jesus did it. He prayed the same thing over and over. Don't you let somebody that doesn't understand prayer keep you from going to God. Be persistent in your prayer. God can and will make a way out of no way. You got to keep on praying. Keep on praying. Oh, th this is uh, Bones Highland. Bones Highland, he's uh, 22 years old, playing in the NBA. He was a first-round draft choice of the Denver Nuggets. I never heard of Bones Highland, but he got drafted 26 pick by the Denver Nuggets, and that young man out of VCU, he can play. There's a reason he's a shooting guard, because that young man can shoot. He can play. And the other day, I was watching the game. I had never heard of him before. I stopped watching Denver, because... They traded one of our members that was, anyway, so I watched the game, I overcame <laughs> my issue with Denver, and I watched another, and Bones Highland was killing. And then they was talking about when, when Bones was 18, that ain't his given name, he was so skinny as a kid, they called him Bones, and so it stuck with him. And Bones, when he was 18 years old, playing AAU after the game, he's back at his house, he's watching the NBA on his laptop, talking, de dealing with one, communicating communicating with one of his friends through social media, and smoke came in his, in his room. He realized his house was on fire. So he's upstairs on the second floor in his bedroom. He runs over to the door to leave, and fire is right outside his door. Smoke is in the room. He said, the only way out of here is through the window. So he decided, I'm going to lift this window. only thing is the window is broken. And when he was talking to the reporter about it, he told the reporter, that window never opens. And so he had, the fire now has made its way into his bedroom. Smoke is everywhere. Fire is in the room. Window won't open. 
And Bones Highland said he thought he was going to die, 18 years old. And he thought his life was over. He said, I thought I was going to die. He said, I fell down on my knees and I started crying and praying because I thought I was getting ready to die. And he said, while I was on my knees crying and praying, I heard the voice of God saying, stand up and lift up your hands. So he said he stood up and lift up his hands. And then he heard the voice of God say, open the window. He had already said that window never opened. He said he went over to that window and this time it opened. He jumped out into the hands of the rescuers. He survived. But he said the only reason he survived is because God opened the window. But God didn't open the window till he fell on his knees and cried and prayed to God. I dare you. You feel like you're not going to make it. You feel like it's over. There is nothing that can happen. I dare you to fall on your knees, cry out to God in prayer. God knows how to open the windows of heaven and pour you out everything that you need. Do I have a witness in here? Let me get to the last thing. Gethsemane is not just a crushing place. Gethsemane is not just a place of prayer. William Augustus Jones, Dr. Jones says that Gethsemane is a place of victory. A place of victory? Yeah, we focus on Calvary, where Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins and mine, and we ought to focus on Calvary. William Augustus Jones said there would have been no Calvary if Jesus had lost in the garden. Y'all, and I know we don't like to talk about his humanity, but Jesus has this internal struggle going on. Father, if it be possible, let this cup of suffering pass from me. I don't, I don't want to be persecuted. I don't want to be crucified. I don't want to be betrayed. I don't want to be denied. Let this cup of suffering pass from me. Then he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And over and over again, he was doing that because there was this internal struggle in Jesus. He ain't like some of us. He knows he can be honest with God with his struggles. Some of us act like God can't handle you. God can handle your struggle. You gonna, he already know anyway. Uh, you going to tell him, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what I'm dealing with. Here's the difficulty I'm having in this. But when Jesus got finished, he said, not my will. But thy will be. See, here is what Jesus is teaching us in our Gethsemane experience. Not only did he want what God wanted for him, he wanted it the way God wanted to give it to him. See, some of us want what God wants for us. We just don't want it God's way. We think we can have it our way. We think we're the exception. The other folk might have to do this, but I, I, I don't have to worry about that. I'm going to do it my way and get what God has for me. No, you're not. Some of y'all could have already been walking in the promise of God, but you were trying to get what you wanted, but you were trying to get it your own way. Could have already lived out your purpose. Could have already had your prosperity. Could have already been out of this. But you want what God wants for you, but you just don't want to do it his way. And you're sitting up here trying to do it your way, wondering why won't God make the move? Because no, not my will, but thy will be done. you talking about the Garden of Gethsemane. There's another garden the Garden of Eden. And God told Adam and Eve, don't eat of that tree in the middle. You eat every tree in the garden, but the one in the middle, don't eat of it, don't touch it. If you do, you're going to die. Eve was deceived. She thought if she ate from that tree, she was going to be like God. Be like God? You know she wanted to be like God. God made her in his image. 
she wants to be like God. She just didn't want to do it God's way. But now, Adam wasn't deceived. He deliberately decided, I'm not doing it God's way. God said, don't eat from that tree. If you do, you're going to die. He ate from it anyway. Deliberately sinned against God. It was, it was as though Adam in the Garden of Eden was saying, not thy will, but my will be done. But here's another garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, the second Adam, Jesus. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, even with the internal struggle, said, no, not my will, but thy will be done. And when Adam in the Garden of Eden said, not thy will, but my will be done, uh, y'all, the Garden of Eden turned into patches of weeds. All hell broke loose. His marriage was a misery. His children were acting a fool. He got kicked out of his home all because he said, not thy will, but my will be done. But when Jesus said, not my will, but thy will be done in the Garden of Gethsemane, that's when salvation came to the world, that even right now, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I know you want what God wants for you, but you got to want it the way God wants to give it to you. And when you do that, God is, because I told you about the, the olives being crushed and the olives being pressed after the crushing and the pressing. That wasn't the end for the olive. That's when the best came out. <laughs> That's when the oil showed up. And y'all, when Jesus went through that crushing in the Garden of Gethsemane and he went through that pressing in the Garden of Gethsemane, that was the place of victory, but that wasn't the end for Jesus. He ended up dying on the cross to pay the penalty for sin. That wasn't the end for Jesus. God raised Jesus from the dead. That was not the end for Jesus. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's making intercessions for us right now. That's not the end for Jesus. He woke me up this morning. He started me on my way. He answers, is there anybody that knows? That wasn't the end for Jesus. The Garden of Gethsemane. That is the place of victory when Jesus decided. Now, I'm going to tell you this. After he went that third time and said, not my will, but thy will be done, he walked back over to Peter, James, and John, and they were asleep. He said, y'all sleep on now. <laughs> I already got the victory. Now, y'all go on and go to sleep. See, once you and I make up in our mind, I want what God has for me. I want it his way. It's no longer my will. It's God's will. I'm living out his purpose, I'm walking in his promise, and I'm getting to the place God has for me. Y'all, every now and then, you got to do it by yourself. When Jesus came in on Sunday, he had a crowd saying, Hosanna to God in the highest. By Thursday, it was 12 of them in the upper room. When they got to the Mount of Olives, it was 11 of them. When he went a little further, it was three of them, Peter, James, and John. But when he said, not my will, but thy will be done, he was all by himself. Stop crying when folk are distant from you. That's God walking in you to what he has for you. When you're going through your crushing, you're going through your pressing, when life gets hard, that means God is seeking to get the best out of you. I got to close my little message here. Let me close it with this. Uh, Molly Seidel. Molly, Molly Seidel uh, is an Olympic runner that represents the United States of America. She ran in the last in, in, in Tokyo. And uh, she ran the marathon in the Olympics. 26.2 miles. She represents the United States. And she was determined she was going to get a medal. Yo, a, a female in the USA getting a medal in the marathon in the Olympics? 
The last time that happened was in 2004. Because when you got Kenyans running in the marathon, more than likely you ain't getting the medal. And so here she is. She's not only running in the marathon, but, yo, this is only, this would be her third marathon. She's only ran the marathon twice. Now she's in the Olympics. The first time she ran it uh, was in the Olympic trials, U.S. Olympic trials. She came in second. First time she ever ran the marathon, she came in, in second place. That's how she made it to the Olympics. Now she's running with world-class athletes, 26.2 miles. Nobody in the world thought that Molly Spidell was going to get a medal. Nobody thought that. And, and she was running well in the race, too. She was doing good. And as, as the race was progressing, she was in fourth place. Then she, she was in third, then in fourth, then in third. Of course, one and two was Kenyans were one and two in the race. And then she said when it got to mile marker 22, her body tightened up. And things got difficult and pain set in and things got hard. Y'all, I've run marathons. I've run in five different marathons. 26.2 miles. Now, I was the biggest one running, but I ran in a marathon. 26.2 miles. ESPN said they did this piece on the most difficult things to do in sports. Number two was finishing a marathon. And I said amen to that. By the time you get to 22 miles, your body begins to break down. Pain sets in. Difficulty sets in. And that's happening to her, and she's running against world-class athletes. And so for the last four-plus miles, she said, I'm still going to hang in there. I'm still going to run through the pain. And, and it got so unbearable. Then she said she remembered that her mother texted her a prayer the night before. Text her a written prayer by St. Jude. Catholics believe St. Jude is the, is, is the saint of the impossible. And her mother found a written prayer that they gave the credit to St. Jude. She texted it to her daughter. And her daughter said, when everything was breaking down and pain and difficulty, she remembered that prayer. And she said for the last four miles, all she did was to mount that prayer. She kept praying the same prayer over and over till she got to the finish line. And y'all, she didn't just finish the race. She came in third. She got that bronze medal. She stood there with those two Kenyans with that bronze medal. And she said the only way she got through all that pain and agony and difficulty and hurt was because she kept praying the same prayer over and over that her mom texts to her. Here's what I want you to understand. God has given us a text. He texts us a prayer. Jesus said, when you pray, pray our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, that's too long for you. He texts us another prayer. And when you start hurting, just say, not my will, but thy will be done. Every temptation, say, not my will, but thy will be done. When you get ready to go astray, not my will, but thy, do I have a witness in here? And God will help you get to the finish line. That problem that I had, I just couldn't seem to solve. I tried and I tried, but I kept getting deep involved. But I turned it over to Jesus. I stopped worrying about it. I turned it over to the Lord. He worked it out. That pain that would not move, I had to take it to the upper room. That burden that I bore, 
made me wonder how much more, but I turned it over to Jesus. I stopped worrying about it. Did you turn it over to the Lord? Won't he work it out? Then somebody shout yes. Shout yes. I thank God for my mountains. I thank him for my valleys. I thank him for all he's brought me through. If I never had a problem, how would I know God could solve them? How would I know what faith in his word could do? Through it all, did you learn to trust in Jesus? Through it all, did you learn to trust in God? Through it all, did you learn to depend on his word? Then give him glory.